Great. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, we'll be looking at uh, Jeremiah 18 today, so you might like to turn to that. Uh, I've been praying about what to share over these next uh, few weeks, and uh, looking, some people always try and plan ahead, looking up to Christmas, uh, the times that I'm preaching, and I just felt I needed to do two sessions on a particular theme, um, which the title is at the top, so it's Broken, Misshapen, and Glorious. Uh, sorry about the the funny font at the top there that's chopped some letters off, but that's the theme, uh, broken, misshapen, and glorious. And I uh, really believe this is significant for individuals, but also for uh, the church as we understand God's working in our lives and how God's work in our lives can impact those around us and be a blessing to those around us. And I pray that what I share today would be uh, relevant personally and uh, specifically to, to many. Uh, Father, I do pray that as we look into your word, you would speak clearly to us. And uh, Lord, that this wouldn't just be picture language that we're seeing, but something of your love and your power and your truth would be demonstrated and seen today in our lives. In Jesus' name. There's a particular passage I'm going to read from Jeremiah 18, and and the context is this. It's a picture of a potter shaping a pot. And Jeremiah is a prophet in Israel. He speaks on God's behalf to God's people. And God is telling Jeremiah to go to a certain place to look at the potter shaping a pot. And, and the whole, we need to just understand as we come to this passage that the whole nation of Israel is in a bit of a mess at this point. People are rebelling from God. They're going their own way. They're, they're living in a mess. And uh, God's given a particular word to Jeremiah. And it's not a very happy one, a very cheerful one. But I want to use the imagery and get a very personal picture from the imagery that's used. So Jeremiah 18 says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. That's it. It's a simple reading. And the passage goes on to talk about how God is speaking to the whole people, saying, look, guys, you you keep messing up and you're resisting me. You're stubborn. You're refusing me. And so I'm just going to do something new here. Uh, And that's the kind of overall message that Jeremiah's bringing to the people. Not a very cheerful one. But I think there's some beautiful and brilliant lessons we can learn from our own lives if we take this illustration and the principles that are there um, that run throughout the Bible that this are encapsulated in this story. And I think it's something very personal that we can get from this little account. Firstly, I want us to see this, that God is the potter. And this is a really familiar theme in the Bible. I'm not saying anything uh, revolutionary or new, but it is profound. It's deep, deeply rooted in the biblical story is the sense that God is the potter. He's the one that shapes and makes things that happen. Uh, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how God formed man and woman out of the dust of the ground. He took mud and he shaped people. Humanity. We learn later that Eve's taken out of Adam's rib, but the kind of basic essence is that he's forming humankind out of the the dust. He's making something out of not a lot in terms of people. It says also that in Genesis 2.19, he made the animals. He formed the animals. It's the same word used for pottery. He's forming them. He also, we read, and this is quite significant, 
The Bible also says that God forms the individual parts of man. So he forms the eyes. He forms the heart. You know, those parts of us that have intrigued science for years. How, how does the eye work? How is it possible for our, our eyes to work? There's such complex little parts of us. And our, our heart in the Old Testament isn't just the pump that's in the middle of our body, but it's the seat of our emotion, our thinking, uh, our reasoning, all of that. How did God make those? And it, it says that God forms and shapes, and it's the same word that's used for this sense of God, for the potter forming a pot. It's the same word that's used throughout. So we see that God is the one who forms all sorts of things. The mountains are formed by God. Summer and winter even are formed by God. He's the potter shaping. In the story in Jeremiah, this word has a huge significance because it's not individual bits of individual people. He's shaping nations. And he's saying to a nation, I can reshape and remold you because I'm the potter. It's huge as he's calling them to repentance. But God doesn't just shape nations, he shapes individuals. I found it really interesting as I was thinking about what I was going to say today, and I remembered from John chapter 9, when Jesus is confronted by a blind man, and he spits, and he makes mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And the potter, once again, is reaching into the elements of the earth, and applying them to someone's eyes, and the guy is healed and sees. It's the same creative process where God forms eyes in the first place that Jesus is tapping into and recapturing some some of the majesty of as he takes the mud, the stuff of the ground, and applies it to the guy's eyes, and he's he's healed. And he goes to the pool of Siloam and washes, and he's healed. It's amazing. God is the one who doesn't just shape nations, but he shapes our lives. But the key point of this story is not just that the potter is there making a pot and he's working at the wheel. The key point is that the pot he's shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. And this is a word, it's a Hebrew word, which I think is pronounced something like shakath. And it's got two meanings. And I want to look at the first of those, this, this sense of brokenness or being ruined. And the sense there isn't that the potter's made a mistake, that the potter's got it wrong, but there's just, it's just not working. It's not forming right, and so the potter needs to act with this pot that isn't forming right. How, how many of you actually tried to throw a pot on a wheel? Anybody actually done that? A few of you, okay. Was it messy? Yeah, okay. I never graduated to that level. I was never good enough to be able to throw a pot on a wheel. The best we were allowed to do was make pots out of kind of long strips of clay, and you made a base, and then you got the strips, and you kind of put them round, and then you have to mash them all together and try and smooth it all out. And, and the problem with that is that it's so heavy by the end, you could kill somebody with it, this, this pot that they made. And I think my mum's probably still got it. It's never going to break, I don't imagine, because it's so weighty, this thing. But it's not quite the delicate, ingenious work that you see with the potter just shaping the pot on the wheel. This... Hebrew potter that's in the illustration had a two-wheeled wheel, one for his feet to kind of kick round, and the other was attached to the top one where the pot was placed. And we know that because the Hebrew tells us that it's a two-wheeled wheel, potter's wheel. But the pot that's on top of it is broken, ruined, and needs reshaping. I believe that we are very much aware 
of the brokenness in our world today. And some of us are aware of the brokenness in our own lives today. And we can be painfully aware of that at times. If we look on the global impact, we speak of the the global impact of sin. We can see people's distance from God and the brokenness that's in people's lives. We can see the way people are choosing to live their lives away from God and the results that that brings. We see it, obviously, in sickness and disease and death. We see it in our our own bodies with illness and sickness and physical or mental sicknesses that we, we suffer with and We see it also played out in our day-to-day lives. People are aware of brokenness in relationships where you start with one set of dreams and and, and thoughts and it ends with those dreams broken sometimes. Other people have brokenness in their identity, whether around sexuality or gender, aware that something's not quite as as they would hope it would be. Other people have it in their work where you start out with enthusiasm and so positive and And the words we use about work ending are are never very good, are they? We talk about resignation, and we talk about redundancy, we talk about retirement. None of them sound great, to be honest. Uh, And yet, they can all be positive things and scope for change and optimism, but in the moment, sometimes we can feel brokenness in our work. Some people find that no matter how hard they try, others get promoted quicker than they do, or their plans don't work out. You know, and sometimes we're tempted when we face brokenness in our own lives and we become aware of it, we can try to cover it up and try to work harder. And in this illustration, there's not a lot that the pot can do. As it's on the wheel and the pot is shaping it, it can't just try and be a better pot because it's broken, it's marred, it's the potter's job to reshape it. It's the potter who can remold it and remake it. Actually, in our brokenness, there's often not a lot we can do. And we find in the gospel stories, it's only in the times when people have realized their brokenness and come to Jesus with nothing that he's able to heal. All those who come to him full up of their own importance, their own religiosity, their own goodness, their own teaching, their own learning, how wonderful they are, go away much the same and unchanged. But those who come broken and empty and realize, realize that they are, go away changed in the presence of God. Why? Because becoming aware of our brokenness is key to allowing God to work in us. Jesus said this in Luke's Gospel. He said that he'd come to... Just find it at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was his mission. That's why he came. And in Matthew's gospel, we read that that Jesus is talking about those who are broken and in need. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why? Because their reward is in God. 
He's got the answer. He's their hope. He's their security. Blessed are you if you're broken. Why? Because your trust is in God at those times, or I hope it can be. Now, some of you listening to this may never have experienced brokenness. If you haven't, that's wonderful. I celebrate that with you. If you have, then you will find today, as you recognize that, Jesus wanting to step into that situation and be there with you. Brian was talking earlier about songs that we sing, a song of lament sometimes. God's interested in listening. Why? Not so he can admire the tune, but so that he can be there with us and enter into it and support us and nurture us and help us and heal us. Why? Because God is the restorer of broken people. Thirdly, this word again, the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. The second meaning of that word marred doesn't just mean broken, it can mean spoilt. There's another time in, in Ezekiel, where, sorry, in Jeremiah earlier on, a few chapters before, where Jeremiah is told to take a linen belt that hasn't touched any water, and he's told to put it in a wall, and he comes back to it a little time later, and it's ruined, it's destroyed, and the illustration again is of Israel, and God's saying to them, look, you've messed up. I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to do something completely new. But I want to just pick up on this word marred again and this second meaning of it where it means spoiled. You see, as aware as I am of my own brokenness and situations that I would find myself in where I feel that the only hope I've got is to turn to God, I think the things that have caused me most pain and challenge have been my own misshapenness. Not necessarily the things that come from outside into me, but the things I've ended up doing myself. And this is where the pot's marred in the potter's hands. And what's he going to do? Well, we're going to see. Jesus in John 7, John 8, has a woman brought to him who's been caught in the act of adultery. And he's asked to make a decision about whether she should be stoned or not. The law says, yes, she should be stoned. Obviously, culture and the Roman law at the time says that she shouldn't be, and he's in this dilemma, allegedly. And Jesus, of course, isn't in a dilemma because he knows exactly what to do. But the idea is to put him in this dilemma. But that's the bit of the story we read. There's a moment before the woman is caught in adultery, when she's just in adultery, where she hasn't yet been discovered, but she's still committing adultery when possibly only the two of them knew, outside of God. And her life at this point is misshapen. It's already spoilt, to use this word. It's marred, it's misshapen. There's something that's gone wrong. And she's not yet battling anything public. This is something private between her and another individual. And yet she's still carrying this brokenness. And then it gets exposed. This misshapenness gets exposed to all and everybody's in on it, everybody's in on it, everybody knows about it. But there's a moment before, and I want you to kind of just miss out the crowd and connect for the moment the woman in adultery and then Jesus' response. Because we often get fixated on the crowd and the stones and all the rest of it. But, but Jesus is actually responding to a woman's misshapenness, and a woman's sin and her choices. And if we can forget the crowd, which is almost what Jesus did, he waits till they've all gone. And he addresses the woman, and he references the crowd and says, you know, who's left? Who's accused you? Who's left? Nobody is. Well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. 
Go and leave your life of sin. And, and Jesus speaks a redemptive healing word as well as a releasing one. But he sends her on the way to a new life. He doesn't crush her for being spoilt. He doesn't crush her for the misshapenness that's in her life. He doesn't ignore it. He deals with it and offers her the possibility of a new start again. That's how God enters into our misshapenness. We mess up. And to mess up makes it sound like it was an accident. Often it isn't an accident. We choose a course of action that leads to us becoming spoilt. Our attitudes, our actions, they, they affect us. And before God, we're, we're like this clay pot that's marred. And we sense it, which is why we hide from God sometimes. It is, isn't it? You know, you know when you've messed up, and the, the very place you should be going is to God, and yet your guilt tells you you need to stay away, that God's displeased with you. So it, it, you, we go through this kind of little cycle of feeling guilty and trying to keep away from God or telling him how sorry we are, but really not letting him love us and letting him respond. We're going to just tell him how guilty we are for a bit, and then we try and work a bit harder at being better, read our Bibles a bit more, pray a bit more, do, be kind to someone, help an old lady across the street, even if she didn't want to go. And then we kind of go through this whole thing again of, you know, God's over there and he's still upset with me and maybe he'll just forget about it after a while. But God isn't going to forget about it until we come to him and and let him love us and show us that he's choosing to forget it, that he's choosing to cast it away, that he's saying, you don't need to be spoiled. I can heal you and, and give you a new start again. We're not called to stay misshapen. There is nowhere in the Bible which tells us to embrace or manage our misshapenness. It's just the way you're made. It's just the way you are. There's nowhere that tells us to do that. It tells us to come to Christ. Jesus, speaking to another man, Nicodemus, tells him that he needs to be born from above, a life that's different to the life he's lived up to now. A life from above. Let's see some other points that are really important to hear. The The potter forms this pot into another one. Now, as I said, my pottery skills aren't great. I didn't have the skills to to stop my little ring pottery thing and make it into anything else. It was what it was going to be. But with this pot, God isn't going to let go. He's going to shape it into something else, something that's fit for his purposes, but he isn't at this point going to let go. And in our lives, even if there's a sense of spoiling, there's a sense of brokenness, God isn't about to take his hands off. If you're feeling broken because you're worn down, if you're feeling broken because of sickness, if you're feeling broken because of long-term situations, or if you're aware of a spoiling, God doesn't want to, doesn't plan to let go. He is tenacious in his love. He's relentless in pursuing you with love and kindness and compassion. The potter here is not taking off his hands. He's keeping shaping. I'm aware that for those who do pottery there's, uh, and has thrown pots on a wheel, uh, sometimes you, you kind of, things can go a bit messy and the pot can fly off and particularly if you don't keep it centered. I'm told that keeping it centered is absolutely crucial, otherwise you, you end up doing this as it goes round and round the wheel and flies off to the person next to you. The closest I got to that was a kid in our metalwork class who was polishing a, a metal uh, container that we were making. It was be- they were really nice. So some poor kid got his stuck on the polishing wheel and it flew off and bashed him and went halfway across the classroom. He was fine after a hospital trip, but it's the same sort of principle that 
you don't let go of it. You've got to hang on to this thing. And, and God isn't letting go of your life. Not for fear that it's going to go off somewhere and he won't have control, but he isn't about to let go of you or me. You know, I've discovered that as I'm aware of my own brokenness and misshapenness at times, the tendency is for us to look inward because we're aware of what we think only we can see when actually with our brokenness others have noticed it, with our misshapenness they may not have done. But the truth is is that we need to look outward and see the potter's hands. That it's only when we see that God has got us in his hands that we can begin to find freedom. Because otherwise we're just looking at ourselves and we we can't be changed that way. But if we look out to the one who's never going to let go, we can trust him. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When our pain is great, he's not letting go. When your disappointment is rising, and there's a tendency to say, but God, why? He's still not letting go. When you feel alone and you've gone to a field somewhere and you're shouting at God, he's not let you go. He hasn't. I am not a rock climber, but I have abseiled a few times. And in, the, in amidst the fear, the terror, it's actually quite enjoyable. I don't like rock climbing, but I quite like abseiling. As long as there's someone bigger than me at the top holding onto the rope. Uh, and I, I quite like it because as you lean back, I've only done it a few times and I'm not offering to do it again. As you lean back over, in my case, the cliff that you're on, and you look down, it's a bit scary. But you, you're attached to something fairly solid, hopefully. <laughs> and you begin to, to let the rope out and descend. But... There's a a critical moment where you go from, in my case, standing on top to to needing to to lean back. And that's the scary bit. Because you've got to actually lean back and trust that the rope's going to hold you. Otherwise, you're just going to slide down the rock face, face first, face into it. And that really is going to be messy. So you actually have to lean out and let your feet stand on the rock face as you go down. Stephen will be able to explain this much better than I would. Because he does this all over the place. Um, But that's not quite true. It's generally on mountains, not just in the shops. Um, but there's a moment where you have to trust that the rope's going to hold you. And it's actually an exhilarating feeling when you have complete trust in that rope. And trusting God is the same. He's not going to let go. Also, we see this, that our brokenness doesn't limit God's creativity. He's a master potter. I said that God made man from the dust The word for man is Adam, as you know. That's what it means. The word for dust or ground or soil is Adama. It's just got an H on, A and an H on the end. It's virtually the same thing, which is the reminder that from dust we came to dust will depart. That's where that comes from. This sense that God made us from dust and we will return to that here. The message is that he's going to make another pot. But it doesn't matter how Israel have messed up. God's purposes are not thwarted. He's going to start again, not with new clay, but with a new design. Because of their stubbornness. But in our case, God is able to shape and mold out those, those bro- that brokenness. He's able to shape and mold out those imperfections and that spoiling so much better than we can. Have you ever tried to fix anything at home? Any of you? 
Some of that had a go with DIY stuff, a few. Okay, well, I, I tried to fix the tumble dryer yesterday, and it's now working. It wasn't then. I don't know if it was just down to me or the kick I gave it when Judith wasn't looking. Um, I, I quite enjoy taking things apart to fix them. I fixed our previous tumble dryer. that got It didn't die after that. It got replaced because of a recall. But I kind of took it apart and took the bits off. In, in time, I've fixed the washing machine and the dishwasher, and the, the cooker was good. I've taken that apart, and that's kind of glowing bits got replaced and all sorts of things. We've changed all sorts of things. And I, I quite enjoy doing that. And most of the time, things are better afterwards than they were before. But there are occasions when I've taken things apart, mainly more complicated things like stereos or I had a guitar once that my parents gave me, a nice, nice guitar, and I decided I'd try and upgrade it a little bit and change the paint finish and all the rest of it and ended up breaking the pickups and they need to be changed. And you know, Just sometimes you take something apart, and in my case, if it's electronic, there'll be a spring somewhere. And you open it up and it'll go boing. <laughs> and you probably can't find it again. You think, now, where did that go? And, and blow me if I can get the thing back together again. And there are times when I've tried and I've taken something apart, and there's just no way. I've got to go down the shops and buy a new one. Because as, it, as much as I enjoy it, as much as I've got some experience at doing some of those things, it's just beyond my expertise. And with some of us, we've tried fixing our own situations in life, and we've gone to the doctors for some things, and we've, gone to, you know, we've, we've just done what we should, but yet nothing's quite working, and it's not going back in the box. And it doesn't matter how broken you are, it doesn't limit God's creativity. He's able to bring healing. He's able to bring restoration. He's able to restore. God is at his best when you've got nowhere else to go. He really is. When there's a list of alternative options, sometimes we, we kind of pray, but then we go, oh, Lord, but actually I'm going to explore the options. But so often, we see God at work the most when we've got nowhere else to go. You know, that woman with the who was bleeding, who came to Jesus to grab onto his cloak. She'd tried everything. She'd been to, the, been to the doctors as good as they were. She'd spent all she had, the Bible says. And still, with all their expertise, they, they couldn't do what Jesus could. You know, no matter how skilled our wonderful doctors, surgeons are, there are times when it's beyond them. And it's there and you go, okay, God, <laughs> it's just me and you with our emotional brokenness, relational, whatever it might be, sometimes we can't fix it and we need to come to him. And I've also found that my most profound times have been my most honest ones with God. You know the times when you try and pretend and try and dress it up and try and make it nicer than it is? God's, I think, waiting for us to get real with him. It might just be me, but I've found that the most profound times I've had with God have been a bit snotty. That makes sense. You know, it's the time, it's rather than the, the prayers that you pray, which are very pleasant, like Brian was indicating earlier, where there's tears. And you're just crying out to God. You say, God, I, I don't know where, what, how anymore. And you discover in those moments, and I've discovered in those moments, that in my sense of lack, God is full and abundant, and he meets me. And sometimes it's not until afterwards that I realize what God did. He's able to bring beauty from brokenness. I like to think that God does more than restore our function. I like to think that the lame danced 
They didn't just walk. That the blind sketched and did some artwork, amazed at the colors they could see. That the mute sang. That God is able to do more than just the norm. So finally, the potter shapes the pot as it seemed best to him. And my encouragement to us is to let the potter shape us. God is able to bring beauty in our lives. He is able to restore. He's able to to sort out the misshapenness and the brokenness. But we need to submit to that. The whole point of this Jeremiah passage in its context is that the people are stubbornly refusing God. The pot is saying to God, we don't want you, blow you. We're going to do things our way. And God's saying, okay, I'm going to reshape and I'll do something different. Let that not be our prayer. Let's pray instead to our heavenly potter, if you like, the one who shapes the nations, the one who can shape our lives. God, we want your way. We want you to mold us. We want to bring our brokenness and our misshapenness to you. We want to be honest before you, even if that gets messy, and say, God, we need you. God, would you shape us as seems best to you? I haven't got this in my notes until we sang a song this morning. The very first song. Let's see if I can find it on here. Sorry, Becky. Here we go. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I think that was the one. The, The second verse says this. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. And he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. It was then that I realized that I'd been an idiot and missed out the most important point. Which is this, that in Christ, we have one who doesn't just shape the pot, he became the pot. See, Jesus entered in, not to observe, but he took on our frailties. He entered into our brokenness. He took on our sickness. He took on our sin. He took on our shame, and he dealt with it. For once... And for all. And so God doesn't just shape us from the outside. Jesus is the one who redeems us. He redeems humanity from the inside. Ross, can you guys come back on on stage? I think we need to sing and I think we need to pray. See, the truth of this today, that we are made by God, we're not an accident. That your brokenness is not greater than God's creativity. And if you submit to it, God's reshaping is wonderful and glorious. But there's a moment of vulnerability where we come to God and we say, Jesus, this is all I have. And right now I feel, not, sometimes it's I feel, sometimes it's I am, I'm in need of you. Broken, misshapen, and trusting you, the potter. And I believe that God wanted me to speak this today because there are some people here that you'd love someone to pray with you today. Because just as I've been speaking, you've been identifying with some of these things and you're thinking, yeah, I get that. I want to give that opportunity as we sing a song together. To have someone pray with you. In your and my brokenness, 
And it might be a physical thing. It might be something else. And your misshapenness, where you've been acting a certain way. And you might want to deal with that on your own before God. Or you might feel a prompt to say, do you know what? Even though it's embarrassing. Today's a good day to have someone pray with you. Now looking around, I think this is a safe place today. So what we're going to do, rather than have you come to the front, we're all going to stand in a moment. And if you, before we do that, if you would love someone to pray with you, would you, you can raise a hand. And then the people around you are going to pray for you. I want to pray first before I give the opportunity. Father, I pray, thanking you that in our brokenness, you are reshaping us. Thank you, God, that there is hope today for each and every one of us, that there is no situation that's too great for you. And sometimes, Lord, even if all we have is a sense that you're not letting go, that's enough. But we recognize that some things we carry with us for a long time. We recognize, Lord, that there are many things that we don't know what the answer is. And we don't pretend to have any suggestion today other than that you are the potter and we are not. And we trust ourselves to you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we sing and as we pray together one for another, we would see you at work in this place. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just while we're praying. Is there anybody here, or who here would like, knows they need somebody to pray with them today in their brokenness? There's no shame. Would you have a look around, please, folks? Keep your hand up. Be brave. Because you're, you're reaching out to God, not to people here. And we're saying, come on, friends. Come on, people. Filled with the Spirit of God, I'd love you to sit with me, to stand with me, to pray with me. Anybody else? This is a privilege to pray together today. It's an honor. Thank you for being brave enough to put your hands up. That's good. Would, would, as we sing, some of you gather around these folk because we want to see God at work. They're trusting God in this moment to say, I'm calling out to you and I need you, Jesus. Go, go and pray with them. Keep your hand up until somebody comes. I want to see God working in this place.